0: On Matthew chapter 25, last week we looked at the two parables that begin the chapter. Two judgment parables. One on the, the ten virgins and the other on the talents and how those apply to us. And the main point of both of those parables we see is preparedness. That we need to be prepared for the day of judgment. Then we come to our text for today that begins in verse 31 of Matthew 25 and we see the judgment scene. Judgment. Judgment its a scary word for many people, isn't it? And it seems so final, doesn't it? And it really is. As we look at judgment... We understand that the life that we now live will one day end. It doesn't matter how you may prepare yourself. It doesn't matter how well you may be physically. As a matter of fact, just recently had a friend and and he was very seemingly very healthy. 68 years old. He was a, a preacher at a congregation um, that we visited uh, just Friday night. And he passed away unexpectedly a couple of Sunday mornings ago by way of a heart attack. You never know. But one thing that we do know is that our life will one day end. Following our departure from this life, We will all, no one excluded, we will all face judgment. The final judgment of God. I've heard the judgment scene depicted in different ways. And one of the most common is the view of a courtroom in which God sits on the judgment seat. He is the judge. And in this judgment scene, we see uh, Satan as the prosecutor or the plaintiff, if you'd rather. And we are the defendant. Jesus stands next to us as our defense lawyer. And Satan announces that we are guilty, that we are guilty of sin. But Jesus stands up for us and says that we are not guilty, declares uh, not guilty on our behalf. Maybe Satan shows some kind of a a slideshow or a video or or somehow in a a moment of time we see all the the crimes and all the, the things that we have ever done wrong in the sight of God. But God's wrath against us is appeased and And we are set free because of Jesus. That's the most common way that judgment is depicted. Those who are not Christians have no defense and would automatically be found guilty. But is that the way that the Bible presents the judgment scene? Is that the way that the Bible presents this day of judgment Our lesson objectives for this morning are to to learn what the judgment truly is from a biblical perspective. We want to to look beyond what, what other people say. Let's look at what God's Word says. And secondly, we want to learn what must be done to avoid the eternal punishment of sin should we face judgment unprepared. As we begin Matthew 25 and and in verse 31, we see that the the way that that judgment is depicted in Scripture is not with God, the Father, necessarily as the judge, although in a sense I, I guess He would be. But Christ is depicted as the judge. Notice what it says here in Matthew 25 and verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand but the goats on the left. I'll give you a little humor. A few years ago, there's a song that I sing with preschoolers all the time and I sang it for a VBS one time. so I just want to be a sheep. Bye 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 bye. And one of the verses is, I don't want to be a goat, nope, because they got no hope. Nope. I don't want to be a goat, nope. And uh there were, were some of the adults that didn't really like the goat not being a goat because the whole theme of the VBS was farm and they had picked all different animals for different age groups and the adults were the goats. <laughs> but as we look here, we, we have the the same idea. The way Jesus is presenting the judgment is in terms of a farm, to some degree. And you have a separation of sheep and goats. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. I'm reminded of of the words of Jesus in Matthew 28. Uh, A little bit later on from from where we read and we see really a a different setting because in Matthew 28, Jesus has already died, been buried and been resurrected and He is preparing His disciples for His ascension into heaven. But He says in Matthew 28 in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And he goes on to tell them, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age or the end of the world. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Authority. The, the authority given to Christ, where did it come from? It came from God. In Paul's sermon to the Areopagus on Mars Hill, in Acts 17, and beginning with verse 29, he says this, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because... because He has appointed a day. He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. God has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by Christ. God promised to one day judge the world through His Son, the One who He gave His life. The One who gave His life for our sins. For the sins of the world. This authority was given to Him following His death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. As His mission and reason for coming to earth had been accomplished, Jesus was given authority in regard to judgment. In predicting His return, These are also the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. It is promised that Jesus will return. That He will return. And when He does... We understand that judgment will follow. Following His ascension, we read this in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Now when He had spoken these things, while they watched, He was taken up, and the cloud received Him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as He went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel Who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He will return. In like manner as he was ascended, so he would come back. And it is following this return that the world, each individual in the world, whether righteous or not righteous, everyone, every soul that has ever lived, will be judged by the Son of Man, who is given the authority of judgment by God, his Father. Judgment, as we read of it here in Matthew 25 is, is described not so much as a trial, but, but it's a separation. That's exactly what it is. It is a separation of the righteous from the not-so-righteous. We're using farming terms again. This is a way that, that the people would understand because many of them were familiar with sheep and goats and the characteristics of both so just as a a farmer or a shepherd would would divide the innocent gentle sheep from the rough and wild goats that's what the day of judgment will be about and and as we, we talk about sheep you can't think of sheep without thinking of a shepherd Who is the good shepherd? The good shepherd is Jesus. John 10, verses 7 through 15, we read this. John 10, beginning with verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because... He is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own as the Father knows me. Even so I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus knows His sheep. And his sheep truly know him. And those who are his sheep can find comfort in knowing that as Christ judges the world, as he judges each individual soul, that he knows his sheep. And he knows the ones who are righteous. So when he says as reading in Matthew chapter 7 as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. Whenever He says, Depart from Me, I never knew you, we know it's because He did not know them. Because He does not know them, they are not His sheep. But Jesus knows His sheep. If we are to enter into eternity with God, it will only be by the authority of Christ and through His judgment. Let's continue looking at Matthew 25. And let's see what else we learn about this day of judgment. Starting with verse 34 of Matthew 25 The righteous seem surprised, don't they? When did we ever see you and and do these kind things toward you? As we look at at these verses, we see that the sheep are divided to the shepherd's right hand. I, I don't know if it's meant to be of any significance... But I remember that we talked about in one of our Bible classes um, several weeks ago about the importance of a right hand. Most are right-handed. And as we see the right hand, it is a strong and a dominant hand. And as I look at this, I think that, that the representation here of being on the right hand, the sheep are going to be well protected and cared for at the right hand of God. The sheep, the righteous, will inherit the kingdom. The kingdom. What is the kingdom? How do we define the kingdom? Remember in Matthew 16... In verses 18 and 19, when Jesus promised to build his church. And I'll also say to you that you are Peter, speaking to Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. Not Peter as the rock, but the rock of Peter's faith. It's upon our faith in Christ as the Son of God that the church would be built. And is built and exists today. On this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this latter Heart, here we know to be spoken to all of the apostles at some point because it was what they taught that the church would be founded on, on the keeping of those things. As we look in Acts chapter 2, we see that the, the church, as it was established, the people of the church, the members of the church, continued in the apostles' doctrine. On this rock I will build my church. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Are we talking about two different things? Or are we talking about the same thing? The church is often referred to as the kingdom. And likewise the kingdom is often referred to as the church. You see the kingdom is the church. And the church of today will be the kingdom of eternity. The church is in existence today. Whenever we face judgment, we will be judged based on our deeds, on whether we have been obedient or whether we have not. Whether we have been faithful or whether we have not. And so those who are righteous will continue in the kingdom of of eternity. Those who are of the church will inherit eternal reward as is stated here. The righteous will inherit the kingdom. How do sinful and vile creatures become righteous before God? Because when we look at our own lives, We recognize we're not perfect. So, if we are going to be found righteous, how do we put on righteousness? Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13. Ephesians 2 and verse 11. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called in circumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near... By the blood of Christ. First John 1, beginning with verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Verse 2 of the next chapter. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. How do we become righteous? By Christ. And we'll talk more about that word propitiation tonight, Lord willing. But we know that it is through the blood of Christ that we are cleansed from iniquity and that we can be found righteous in God's sight. Jesus speaks in Matthew 25 of the character and disposition of His children, His sheep. They are willing to do good to all, but especially their brethren in the church, the kingdom. James 4, verse 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. He who fails to do good, literally, is guilty of sin. Christians who do good toward fellow members of the body of Christ have done it also to the head of the body as they are one with Christ. When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger and and took you in? When did we see you naked or sick or in prison? What Jesus says is that doing good to the least of these, what he refers to as my brethren, that in doing good to the least of these, they were doing it also to Christ. And I'm also reminded of the the church in its establishment in Acts 2 and also in chapter 4 where it talks about the church and how they sold possessions to take care of the needs of their members. They were compassionate toward one another. And doing good toward one another, that's something we need to do. And in, in doing good to one another, whenever we do good towards one another, whenever we, we, we call on someone who is sick, whenever we take food, or, or whenever we try to provide for a need that the church has, we are doing it unto Christ. And it's those kinds of things that, that we're going to be judged on. on whether or not we've done those to Christ. Even though we don't see Him physically. We can see Him spiritually. There's a song that's not in our book or I would have sung it today. But have you seen Jesus my Lord? And one of the verses is a depiction of the church. Have you seen Jesus? When you've seen the face of of a brother or sister, you've seen the face of Jesus. Now doing good is important. But we also have to understand that doing good alone does not grant us entrance into heaven. You see, there are many good people in the world. And just because they are good people, that doesn't mean that they're obedient to the commands of God. Good people must have done more than just doing good to others. Mark 16 and verse 16 says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Both of those are essential. Belief and baptism for the remission of sins is essential to salvation. But he who does not believe will be condemned. No amount of good works on their own merit can save us from our sins. But we must be baptized into Christ in obedience to His commands. We must be covered by His blood. That's the only way that we can be seen as righteous in the sight of God. But now we come to verse 41 of Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will say also, for then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me. You cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Verse 44, then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these you did not do it to me. As the sheep are characterized by their good works towards members of the church and even those outside too, but especially to the members of the church. As they are characterized by their good works, the goats are characterized by their lack of good works. Inasmuch as these good works were not done to his brethren, they were also not done unto Christ. And because these good good things were left undone, the goats, as they are referred to here, were told to depart. They were separated from the sheep into what has been instead prepared for the devil and his angels, everlasting fire. Now surely if they had known, if they had known that, that in not doing these things to the brethren, that they weren't doing them to Christ, if they had known that they were, were Christ, if they had known that they would be doing these things, that they were to do good, that they would be doing these things to Christ, would they have done them? Probably so. But they failed to see Jesus in His church. That they, they failed to recognize the church. They failed to recognize it as Christ's church. They were surprised too, weren't they? Just as the sheep were pleasantly surprised to find that in doing good they had done it under Christ, the goats will be Shamefully surprised that in not doing these things, they have not done them under Christ. Had they known, had they known. The last verse of Matthew 25. And these, the wicked, the unrighteous, the goats, these will go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. Notice that the sentence is of the same length whether it be on the positive side or the negative side both are eternal both will never end there are those that that believe different things about the punishment of hell and, and some believe that, that we'll get to judgment and, and the sheep and the goats they'll be separated and then Jesus is going to turn around and say, y'all, come on here." I've also heard it depicted in in such a way as as that when those that are unrighteous go into hell, that it will only be for a time and that they will eventually be annihilated and and all of that will be ended. That's not what the Bible says. And even in this very short verse, we understand that that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that those who are unrighteous will go into everlasting punishment. It will be eternal, just like the eternity of of, of a heavenly place, the, the place that we want to be. Just as that is eternal, so will be the punishment of hell. And to say any different, be contradicting the Scriptures. The goats will go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous, but the righteous into eternal life. I don't know what eternity will be like. I I remember as a, a child, I tried to imagine it several times maybe. I remember one time in, in, in particular I, I remember just sitting in, in my room alone I closed my eyes and I tried to imagine eternity. I, I can't do it even to this day I can't do it because we can't imagine what eternity is going to be like. You see our minds are all wrapped around a beginning and an end to do everything But with God, there is no beginning. He is. And and there is no end. He continues to be. Our minds can't fathom eternity. But I guarantee that you want your eternity to be in heaven or you wouldn't be here today. So I ask you this question. Which are you? How would you... See yourself. Do you see yourself as, as one of the sheep? One of the flock of God? Are you prepared for eternity? Are you prepared for judgment? Maybe you wouldn't quite characterize yourself as a, a goat. Maybe you're not seemingly that, that bad. Maybe you're not that unrighteous. You know, any sin that, that comes between us and God is between us and God. And until we take care of that sin, we will be found as the goat. What's your answer? What will it be? What will your answer be? we are going to sing the invitation song. And if you're in need of responding, then we would give you that opportunity. Maybe you need to talk to us after services, that's fine too. But if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we give you the opportunity. Because together we stand and as we sing. There's.